Welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast exploring disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and on this episode, we'll be discussing the Donna and Reed party. The group set off to hike the Oregon Trail in 1846. It's always a hard journey, but in this case, they were struck by bad luck. They had wrong directions, accidental deaths, and eventually were stuck in the frozen mountains for three months awaiting rescue. This would result in the deaths of almost half the party and the choice of whether to eat the dead. Yeah, I've been, I'm looking forward to this one. You will, may, you may have noticed there's been a bit of a gap between episodes. I'd love to say that it was because of something fun, but no, it's just been just been busy just been busy with work and then I got COVID uh, which I mean it's taken two years for me to get it so it was probably about time I haven't been too bad at all I think I've got off very lightly uh, which I'm very thankful about but yes that has made me very tired in the evenings after work so it's just yeah podcasting has not been happening but hopefully I'm I'm here caught up um <laughs> And yeah, we'll see. Uh, obviously, this is just a hobby for me, so it, yeah, sometimes other things need to need to come come above it. But hopefully, back. And yes, whilst I'm yeah rambling, um, do follow me on Instagram um, at when it goes wrong pod. That's where I post everything. You know, over the last few weeks, me being like, yeah, I've got COVID and I'm busy. Uh, so if you want updates on anything, then do follow me over there. Uh, and then please be sure to share the podcast with and just one friend that would be that would be lovely so yes let's jump into the donna party i actually didn't know much about this before i started um researching it which is weird because quite a few people suggested this as an episode which thank you for those that did uh but and then i was talking to my dad and he was like oh it's really well known and i was like how have i missed this obviously i knew the oregon trail but I just didn't know this. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's it's super interesting. And yes, quite one, probably the oldest thing I've covered, I think. I don't tend to love doing super old, old things, uh, just because I find there's often not as much content on it. But yeah, excited to do this. So in the 18. 18- hundreds um most of uh, we're in america uh most of the west coast was populated so um with with i mean all of the america was populated with native americans but the the west coast had obviously been taken over by europeans but over to the east it was a lot a lot quieter and there wasn't like a direct path between the the west and the east at that point and over in the east uh, there were basically these stories of it being this kind of lush paradise uh, lots of farmland warm uh, lots of space lots of money to be made so it was it was seen as as something quite desirable in terms of where people wanted to go and at this point, uh, California had not yet been annexed into the USA, but he, that didn't stop people. <laughs> that, that did not stop people. And uh, these kind of tales and stories of, of how America, California and Oregon were made their way over to others in the West. And it was just a really tempting choice for a lot of people, those that wanted a fresh start, those who wanted a new business deal, um, or just those who wanted a really big change. Uh, but getting there was the issue. So there were two ways to get over to the east. So you could either go on a boat um, and do a very long boat ride all the way down to the bottom of South America uh, and then back up the other side. But obviously that would take 
ages, um, especially in those days, it was often quite expensive, quite an uncomfortable trip, but also because it was expensive and because you were trying to buy boat space, you often couldn't take a lot of stuff with them. Um, so it would be quite hard to then like make their homes on the other side because this was obviously in the days before there were shops everywhere. Uh, so they had that choice or they had the choice to take the Oregon Trail and basically walk all the way across America uh, for over 3,500 kilometers to, to, get to, to get to the other side. Um, and this was a choice that was done by many migrants. So there was an established route and they, which had kind of been worn down over many, many journeys. And the migrants would take wagons uh, in which they could put all of their stuff and could allow people to, to sit in them. Uh, and they would take then oxen who would pull the wagons and they chose oxen because they were uh, quite hardy, quite kind of easy to look after quite docile so they were a good option and actually I looked up what an ox I was like what is what is an oxen what is an oxen which a castrated adult male cattle so really it's a big cow which makes sense I, mean, I think I didn't know an oxen was a big cow but yeah there you go there you go. So they took big cows, basically, that would pull pull their, their wagons. And alongside that, they often took other cattle, mules, horses, um, and other animals that would kind of sustain them through the journey, uh, either with food or movement or, or whatever was, was helpful at the time. They filled their wagons with belongings, supplies, food, water, ammunition, and things to trade with others. Uh, and in general, most migrants would walk. Uh, so they would walk alongside the wagons, uh, but some older or younger members would ride in them. Uh, and on average, the groups would do around 25 kilometers a day. Uh, and it would take them between four and six months in order to, to complete the journey. And actually, by the sounds of it, like, they move pretty slowly. I mean, 25 kilometers a day sounds reasonable, but it's not a lot. And the oxen were slow. The wagons were slow. It generally was just a slow process. It wasn't kind of rushing across across the country. So one such party that was completing this trip and the one that we will focus on was the Donna Reed party. And this loads of like this party was made up of lots of different people and the people that were in the party kind of shifted and changed and and did that kind of thing. So I won't go through the the details of exactly who was in it, but basically it was just uh several families that came together to to do the trail together. The key families that we're going to talk about were first of all the Donner family as you would expect from the name uh, and the Donner family had 22 people in it uh, which included children, grandchildren and hired team to help them and they were headed up by George Donner who was the, the kind of grandfather who was around 60 and he had his third wife with him Tamsin. Uh, and then the other main family that they had was the Reed family, which was headed by James and Margaret Reed. And then there were another two big families with them, the Murphy family and the Breen family. And so in general, the contingent that we're going to talk about was made up of about 87 people. So it's a pretty substantial contingent, if you think, of 87 people, plus all their belongings, plus the wagons, plus the oxen, plus the cattle, plus everything else. You know, we're talking about a, a good, a good amount of people, really. So they all had different reasons for wanting to go to the west, um, whether to to the east, to the east. 
I feel like I've been mixing up West and East on this. <laughs> They're going West. They're going West. I don't know what I said before. I'll find out when I listen to this. But um, yeah, they were going West. Clearly didn't write that down right. I'm always... Anyone will tell you I'm one of these people that get mixed up with Maleficent rights. <laughs> and so, yes, yeah, so they all have their own reasons for going West. And one, uh, you know, trying to trying to just find, find a new world... Uh, but one of the most important things to consider when you are about to make this journey is when you set off. So if you set off too early in the year, then there might not be enough kind of grass and solid ground for, along the route. Uh, but if you head too late, then there's the chance that you the weather will turn to winter and then you will get caught in, in the winter and not be able to, to move forward. And the Reed Donners, unfortunately, were one of the last groups in the wagon train and they decided to leave in mid-May. So they headed off on their on their trip and they started, there were kind of issues, well, maybe not as many issues at the beginning, but definitely issues along the way. What they had, there was a pretty well-defined trail between where they started, which was, I want to say like Missouri? It was started in Missouri. And so there was a pretty well-known trail between that because like a lot of people had written books about it. And so there was a lots of kind of books and maps about this trail, but also it was, it was worn down and you could find it and you were following a lot of people in front of you. So you knew the direction you were going, but one of the party James Reed had heard of a shortcut um, and it was called the Hastings Cutoff and it claimed to save 300 miles. And this was a potentially quite unknown route um, that they had only really heard about in, you know, letters and newspapers and stuff. And for the majority of the beginning of the trip, they spent a lot of time debating, do we go and do this this shortcut, this Hastings cut off and try and save some time? Or should they carry on and do the do the beaten path? And it was hard to know, really. And they reached one of the forts before they kind of had to make the decision um, and they kind of, the people at the fort warned them against doing that route, saying, you know, it was really untried, that it wasn't a safe route to take, um, especially because they had a lot of wagons and a lot of children. But they knew that they had left quite late. The the kind of attraction of trying to cut time off, I think, meant that it really encouraged them to try and take that route and so they got to the fork in the road and they decided, yep, we're going to take the Hastings cut off. So they headed off down that route and that kind of then formed the actual group that would continue on the rest of the journey. Up until this point, like I said, the kind of wagons would come together, they'd go apart, that type of thing. But we're now in a pretty firm, firm mix up of, of the 87 people. So at this point, they decided that they needed to vote in a leader um, who would lead the lead the trail and would allow them to, uh, you know, ensure that everything was taken care of um, and manage disputes, that kind of thing. They voted in a leader and um, Reed was the one who was pushing them to take the car off, uh, but he actually wasn't very well liked in the wider group. So eventually George Donner was selected as the group leader. Uh, and that's why this is often known as the Donner Party. Um, or the Donna Reed party, but often the Donna party. So, what 
was this Hastings route that they decided to take? So at the time, there was a man called Lansford Hastings, and he defined this Hastings cutoff, and he defined it without even doing it. He basically was like, oh, there's this great route that I've never tried, uh, but he didn't tell anyone he never tried it. He basically wrote this this book, leaflet thing, saying, yeah, there's this amazing route that you should take. And yeah, so, so little did the Donna Reeds know that actually <laughs> it hadn't been tested, hadn't really been tried by Lansford or by wagons, which was the key thing, was how are they actually going to get their wagons across this? But like I say, they decided to go down it and they, yeah, went off that way. Whilst they were going, they got word that Hastings had said that he would, like himself, had said that he would wait at Fort Bridger and would personally guide groups through the pass and through the cutoff itself. So that really encouraged the Donnerids because they were like, oh, great, this guy is actually going to be there. He's going to take us through this pass. Um, you know, everything is good. But by the time that the Donner Party got to Fort Bridger, Hastings had already left a few days earlier uh, with another group. And... He had been kind enough, I suppose, to leave some guidance for the future groups to follow and try and catch up. But yeah, it wasn't great. Um, but they were like, no, we'll give it a go. We're, you know, we're committed. We've taken this fork. We've gone this route. We're going to have to try. Uh, the people in Fort Bridger were very like, yeah, definitely take this route, mainly because no one would ever go to Fort Bridger anyway so if if this route really took off then it basically would mean that Fort Bridger was kind of put on the main the main thoroughfare so they were like yeah definitely take it but anyway so they decided to, to go for it uh, and they sent out an advanced rider to to ride off on a horse and to to find Hastings and kind of tell him that the group was following behind but unfortunately, as I think you could tell, um, it didn't go well so the wagon train progressed but it was clear that the route that they were meant to follow just was not well formed at all there were blocks in the way there was no clear path they were having to to kind of go through really like dense like bush and forest um and it was just yeah really bad they eventually came upon a note from Hastings on the route basically saying don't go this way (laughs) um to send for him to be shown another route which just shows you how awful this is. So they did actually manage to find Hastings, but Hastings refused to come back to the Donna Reed party and just kind of said, oh, go in this general direction. And so, yeah, it was a really awful, awful journey. The wagons just really couldn't make their way through and the group just completely slowed down. They at one point had to basically stop for like a whole week whilst um, the men went out and actually tried to cut a path through for them. And they were... Yeah, moving barely a mile a day. So this just meant that they, you know, they'd already left late. They were hoping to take this route because they thought it would save them time. In reality, it was costing them time. And in reality, they didn't really have time to lose, (laughs) which was not great. When they finally made it out of that first pass, which again took them forever, they then came across the next fun thing, which was the Great Salt Desert. And Hastings basically left a note at the beginning of it, of course, saying that it would be at least two days and nights without grass or water um, whilst they travelled through this desert. So the group rested and kind of prepared for this horrible journey because obviously everyone was going to be really thirsty. They could only hold so much type of water, etc. But 
the promised two-day journey turned into six days. Because it was such hot weather, the salt in the plane kind of evaporated to leave this kind of like gummy mess uh, that the wagons got stuck in. Because it was taking them so long, they ran out of water. Um, And then, yeah, the oxen and cattle really struggled with like the heat and the dehydration. Uh, So some people at this point have just totally abandoned their wagons, took the cattle off and and walked forward with them. Uh, Some of the cattle just went absolutely mad with thirst and and bolted and just ran away. And yeah, so a huge number of animals were lost in this part of the trip uh, because of the horrible conditions and quite a few of the wagons were left and couldn't be recovered. Uh, But thankfully, through all of this, uh, all of the people did manage to survive the, the passing. Thankfully, after this, the pass got slightly better uh, before it joined back onto the main Oregon Trail route. But basically, due to the horror of that cutoff, they had now lost an additional month worth of time. They'd lost loads of wagons, supplies, animals. They, yeah, were just in a really bad state after they had crossed that. And now they knew that not only had they left late, but they had lost even more time that they really couldn't manage. Because they knew that this was clearly an issue, they did send two people out on the horses to try and go ahead of them, get to California, get some supplies and bring them back. So the fort on the other side was a fort called Sutter's Fort. And the hope was that they could go there, get the supplies from Sutter's Fort and then try and bring them back. Following the horrendous pass, more drama. (laughs) I mean, this whole thing was just a trial. But yes, more drama in that James Reed, who was obviously one of the senior members of the party, uh, got into an argument with another man uh, and stabbed and killed him when they were fighting. So kind of in self-defense. And that obviously then led to a lot of drama in the camp as to what should happen with James Reed. Like, how should they um, apportion justice to this because he he did kill someone. But eventually they, they kind of debated, like, do we, you know, hang him? But they decided that he, that James Reed would be banished from the group uh, rather than being killed because it was kind of thought, well, if we banish someone here with no supplies and, and not with the group, then there's no way that he will survive anyway. His family, however, basically, they kind of banished him and then his family rode back to him and were like, here's all this stuff to keep you going. <laughs> so gave him like food and ammunition and stuff. So, and a horse. And so Reed basically left the main group, left his family and, and went off off ahead in, into California and was able to move really quickly. Um, and then there were just other harsh things, like one of the older men who wasn't really related to any of the families but was with the group was was riding in a few of the wagons. Eventually, the family said, no, we refuse to to pull you in a wagon because of the state of our of our oxen. Um, you have to walk. And the man was like, well, I can't walk. Um, so he just kind of sat down and died at the side of the trail, which is very depressing. So yeah, kind of still still lots of drama happened and, and really didn't help with the, the mood, I suppose, of the group. In the only bit of good news, um, one of the men that had gone ahead to get the supplies to Sutter's Fort did at this point come back. So he came back with some supplies, mules, um, and with two... Uh, Native Americans um, who were kind of supporting him. So he came back with them, uh, which helped bolster the group and and keep them going a little bit further. 
So they carried on and they made it towards the the final obstacle, I guess you should say, which was crossing the mountains. And the key thing here is that the mountains were hard enough to cross at the best of times, but if you hit the mountains too late into the winter, they were basically impossible to pass because just the snow and, you know, there was hugely deep snow and, and just being able to navigate was pretty much impossible. But unfortunately, they made it right at the end of October and they tried really hard to get as far as they could through the mountains, uh, but they basically just got to a point where they just could not continue any further. There was just such deep snow. You know, they were saying there were snow drifts that were like 10, 12 feet deep. And so they just it was just impossible for people to walk through, impossible for any, you know, any animals or anything to walk through it. And also just navigation was really difficult. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how to how to make it through that pass uh, and make it to the other side. So they kept trying their best to get over the pass, but it was just not successful. And eventually they decided they had to backtrack uh, to try and find a space where they could, where they were basically going to have to overwinter um, and and stay where they were in order to in order to wait until the snow melted and they were able to get across. So they backtracked to a place called Truckee Lake, and there had been a camp there already which had um so there were like three kind of rough cabins there which had been made previously and so they decided that they would make that their base but the the party had kind of broken up and was in smaller bits at this point so so a large chunk of them the reeds and the murrays and stuff were in the Truckee lake but the Donners had been lagging behind and so they actually didn't make it as that, that far. They had some issues with their wagons, so they built camp kind of further away, further down the down the mountain from where the rest of the party was, which was kind of a couple of hours trek between the two. And at this point, George Donner hurt his hand, um, but at the time it did not seem serious. So it was time to set up camp, and in general, it sounds awful. <laughs> so yes, at the lake, there were three pine cabins and 60 people. Um, so so three of the families took the, took the cabins. Some of the people that were by themselves kind of like made a lean-to off the side of the cabins. They The cabins themselves were not comfortable. They were utterly freezing. They had just dirt floors, leaking roofs. Yeah, and were just really clearly a very miserable place to be. They tried their best to kind of, you know, put extra extra hides and stuff on the roof to, to try and make it warmer, but it definitely was not a, not a comfortable place to be. And then there were 21 people down at the Donner camp, which was, uh, like I said, there were no cabins there. And so they basically had to make these small tents to try and shelter the group. And, you know, that's what they said. Like the, the cabins were literally awful, but then the tents were even worse. So it was just, yeah, a really horrible time for them. And at this point, they had very little food. So they had really run through all of their supplies and whilst you would hope that then they had brought all this cattle and oxen and stuff that they could then eat, actually they ended up with very few animals, um, mainly because they had lost so many of them in the cutoff, which had disappeared. Um, they'd had a couple of times where loads of the animals had just run off or they'd, they'd been stolen um, and they, they really did not have many at all. Um, so they kind of rationed out what they had left 
but it was very different to say the Andes where they they still very much kept to their family group so they rationed out within each family what they had they didn't come together as an overarching group and kind of ration it out as a whole but they kind of bartered and stuff between them to to see what little food that they had and yeah it was just it was just awful and they consistently kind of tried to make it over the pass small groups would go and try and make their way over but every time they would fail um, and there was just huge storms that kept hitting them because obviously it's in the mountains in the winter. Uh, and in one of the largest snowstorms, it just totally buried not only the cabins, but also all of the remaining animals that were outside. It just buried them and killed them. And there was seemingly no attempt to actually try and find them and dig them out. So it just meant that they lost even more of the food that they potentially had had. It was just a very miserable time and and half of the main camp was actually made up of children, um, the majority of whom were very young at the time. They were all bored, they were all hungry and slowly but surely quite a few members of the group just started to die <laughs> um, of various issues, exhaustion, malnutrition, yeah, just just a load of a load of stuff hitting them basically. As it got towards December, it was clear that everyone was going to die if they didn't do something. So they needed to take a chance and one of the members of the group fashioned some snowshoes um, for them to wear to try and kind of cross the pass wearing these snowshoes. And so there was a group that came together to to try and, and make this trip. And the group was made mainly of adults, actually, and I mean, it was clearly such a desperate time that actually a lot of them had children that they were just, they had to leave because they thought the only way that this would improve is if they got out and got help and then brought them back. So a lot of them, yeah, left left some of their children behind. And they made up a group of 14 and the group was nicknamed the Forlorn Hope and they took some small rations to last six days and then headed out over the mountain. However, like I said, everything is miserable. Um, they soon became lost. Um, they soon became starving. They just didn't really know how to navigate or camp in such heavy snow. Uh, they regularly had snow blindness, which we talked about before. Kind of consistently, they just left people behind who weren't keeping up and who who weren't well. Uh, and it just, yeah, it just went awful. They would just spent days and days kind of wandering about freezing. And they were so hungry at this point, they then started debating whether someone should be killed so that then the others could eat them, um, which isn't great. Um, they debated doing a duel to see who should die in order to, for the rest of the people to, to, to live. But thankfully, maybe... Um, it, it did not come to that um, as soon quite a few of the people in the group had died anyway um, so the rest of them did at this point take some of the bodies and dried some of the meat to keep them going so yes a little bit of a little bit of human eating I think because this was so long ago we don't have the graphic details as we had in the Andes thankfully but yes at this point they wasn't good 
then the two Native Americans who had gone with them, then who had come back with the supplies back back before, had gone with them in order as part of this party, and they like heard the group debating like who to kill, and someone warned them basically being like they're going to kill you two so they wandered off to leave this group that was going to kill them and eat them but then nine days later the main group came across these two and reportedly one person in the group then shot both of them uh, because they said they were almost close to death anyway uh, so we're going to shoot them both and eat them so that was a not nice part of this to be honest and so they did that and and yeah continued on and soon thankfully they made it to the other side and they came across a native american tribe and it had taken them 33 days to make the pass um out of the six that they thought it would um that is literally how long they had been wandering about lost and only seven of them actually made it. So 14 set out, seven made it. It took them 33 days. But they were given food at this point and taken to a nearby fort to recuperate. Um, and they really tried to kind of rouse others into, into forming a rescue party in order to save all of the people that were on the other side of the mountain. So let's get on to rescue. Um, so Reed, who had gone off and had made it to California, did actually attempt to rescue his family because obviously he was already on that side and knew that they had clearly gotten stuck um, and were and were in a dire place. So he did try and attempt to rescue, but was unsuccessful due to the weather and the snow. But finally, they managed to get a group which was roused and there was lots of tales about kind of raising all this money to go and save these people, uh, which they did. And the group was created um, and went off to, to save them. So a group of seven headed across the peak and finally they were successful. <laughs> um, and they thought that when they made it over the pass, they thought that everyone was dead because they basically like made it over and no one was there. And then it says um, in one of the books, uh, Mrs. Murphy appeared from a hole in the snow, sna- stared at them and asked, are you men from California or do you come from heaven? Um, so clearly they had been desperate for rescue at this point And thankfully they did manage to get there. But unfortunately, the group was still in a very awful way at this point. There was at least 13 people who had died and had been buried near the the cabins. Uh, A lot of people were very gaunt. Some were very ill. So George Donner, who had that hand injury I mentioned earlier, that had turned gangrenous um, and he was very ill. And so the rescuers started giving out small amounts of food uh, because obviously they didn't want to overwhelm them after, after starvation. And uh, kind of readied them to make the journey back uh, where they knew where they were going. Some of the rescuers did carry on to the Donner camp uh, and returned with seven people from the Donner camp to make the journey. And eventually, 23 people left with this first group, which left 21 at the cabins and 12 at the camp. Of the 23 who left, three of them died sadly en route back over the pass just because of exhaustion but actually one child who died because he just ate so much um, which is really sad because obviously he'd been so starved for so long and then it was all there it was all there but that isn't good for him so this first group happened thankfully then a second rescue group made an attempt and by the time that this second rescue group got over the remaining people had started to eat 
the dead people in the camps and they could kind of see that when they made it over which wasn't ideal but gotta do what you gotta do to survive right we talked about this when we talked about the andes gotta you sometimes you gotta eat people if it's your last if it's your last resort uh, but again not huge amounts of details as to what actually happened uh, the second rescue was successful as well that took 17 people back with them of which practically all of them were children but this meant that only the weakest really were left with the camps uh, five at the cabins and five at the tents third rescue group went in then uh, with some of the parents of some of the kind of remaining children but some unfortunately were dead by the time that they arrived Uh, but this third group did manage to take five more people back with them and one sadly one of the last remaining women was Tamsin Donna who actually was quite well at this point uh, but she decided to stay behind to stay with George who was close to death Um, so she could have walked out but chose to stay and so she stayed, and then there was another uh, another adult, a man called Kiesberg, 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 and he reported that basically Tamsin walked up to the cabins after George died, but then she also soon died. And then there was a load of like controversy around Kiesberg because he stayed at the camps and stayed alive potentially by eating other people um, and he wasn't rescued until April so he'd been there for like six months and was bit there for ages by himself he also reportedly took Tamsin's money because he said to give to her children but people thought maybe that wasn't the case and so when he actually finally got fully rescued in April as like the last alive person surrounded by all these dead bodies he was really hounded by by the press um, as to like whether he was like a thief and a cannibal and he just stayed in the space like eating people and had he actually killed Tamsin like rather than her coming to him and eating her eating her coming to him and then dying so yeah there was a lot of a lot of controversy and it was yeah a little bit weird that he was there for so long so yeah so in total of the 87 people who made the camp only 48 people ended up surviving So not great odds, really. And clearly those who had survived had gone through such a traumatic experience. In general, it was mostly men that had died uh, and then the old and the very young. The fact that men had mostly men had died, it was basically like if you were a young woman, uh, you were most most likely to survive. So good for me if I was in that situation. Um, And that was mainly because of like the women having some more fat stores um, and then potentially them kind of doing potentially less risky activities, um, which which would result in injury. And also just because like the men, they were naturally had more muscles, so naturally had a higher calorie requirement, uh, which meant that they kind of suffered from malnutrition and starvation a lot quicker than the women. So after that, they the story went wild, obviously all over the press, um, which is why it's so well known. Quite a few accounts of the experience were published. Um, so there is so much content out there now as to, as to how we know the story and we know what happened. The papers kind of covered it in very different different ways there were some kind of conflicting reports about eating people in the papers uh some kind of barely mentioned it and some covered it in a lot of detail but it generally wasn't you know it wasn't like after the andes where like that was everything that was known about it in this case it was just 
one part of a horrific journey, which I think is is a, a very fair comment, to be honest, because it just all sounded awful. And the area where the camps were was like all burnt to the ground and kind of and raised and the bodies um, that remained were buried. Um, and the area since then has been renamed to Donna Pass and lots of the lots of the things in the surrounding areas are all are all named after a similar similar names so yeah pretty tragic really I when I was reading about it I was like oh god this is really like one thing after the other how can it continue going wrong um but it did but it did I tried to do what we learned but it's kind of hard when it was so long ago but I think that a lot of people still did the Oregon Trail. They knew not to do the Hastings Cutoff, so that was a win. And it just really emphasised to anyone doing the trail that you should leave at a good amount of time and you should make it across the mountains before winter. Key fact, make it across the mountains before winter. But yes, loads of people still continue to do the Oregon Trail. Kind of went down for a little bit and then peaked again around the Californian Gold Rush a few years later, um, which, yeah, was was good. So in terms of references then, the first thing is that I played the game. <laughs> of course, couldn't, couldn't do this without playing the game. Uh, it's just available online. It's a really good game, you know, and it did take me back to my childhood. But it's actually like no wonder it's kind of well known because it, you do have to like think about a lot of stuff and you only have to like type in the the number for what you do but you do have a lot of decisions to make to then try you know like what time do you leave what do you bring with you how much money do you have what is your profession like it's quite an in-depth game to play so uh if you're listening to this and have it's brought back memories uh give it a go tell me tell me what you think because it does, and it teaches you a lot. I think that's what they said, that they originally made it to teach people about the Oregon Trail, not actually as a game. Uh, and then it just kind of developed from there. So yes, that was obviously the most important of the resources. Um, next, I read a good book called Desperate Passage, The Donna Party's Perilous Journey West by Ethan Rarick. Uh, it was really good. I really enjoyed that book. It was It covered everything in lots of detail. It was well-written and well well-paced. I, yeah, recommend. Um, a few people also recommended another book, which I haven't read, but um, yeah, like two people, when I said I was doing this, message me on Instagram saying, read this, uh, which is called The Indifferent Stars Above by da Daniel James Brown. Um, and it does have lots of good reviews on the internet. So yeah, pick pick one of those two. But I, I think that they are both probably very good and we'll cover the detail of what what's happening it looks like from reading it it's from the perspective of one of the people of forlorn hope yes as it covers 32 days which they endured unfathomable hardships and horrors so yes must be forlorn hope so yes i recommend oh, i mean other people recommend that so i therefore recommend it on their behalf other than that, a few reading-y bits, nothing too exciting, but I'll include the references in the show notes. So there we have it. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you for hopefully sticking with me after some unrealistic, unreliable 
uh, recording and publishing of episodes. Fingers crossed, like I say, it will improve from now on. So please do, uh, like I say, follow me on Instagram at when it goes wrong pod. And please do, if you don't, if you're not on Instagram, follow, um, send me an email. Uh, I am when it goes wrong pod at gmail.com. Um, also, yeah, please review, subscribe, all that jazz.